As you're listening to the following music selections, adjust the volume, bass, and treble controls to suit your tastes. Welcome to Android's Dungeon on CFRU 93.3 FM, broadcasting out of the University of Guelph, Guelph, Ontario campus. Normally, this is Android's Dungeon, a show about games, mostly, movies, music, uh, tabletop, internet, disc golf. Disc golf's becoming higher on the list. Broadcast out of people's basements, uh, Let's offices. Be this game is about 18xx, disc golf, it's, and Dungeons and Dragons. It's, it's basically turned into a very narrow band of shows. But uh, <laughs> I could actually break that mold since uh, we haven't, we didn't play a train game last week. Hey. So there's, there's no, uh, none of that talk. But Were you forced uh, to take a break, or was it by choice? It was by choice. We could have done something, I think, if uh, someone had pushed for it. But uh, nobody was pushing for it. Let's put it that way. So it, never, it did not come up. Uh, why, let's just get things going. We just finished uh, our our weekly D and D session of Wednesday, uh, Dungeons and Dragons: Ghost of Saltmarsh Splatbook, and um, I, I, Joel, I'm sure you have some things you would like to say about our <laughs> the the session from today because it sounds like it was tons of work, and I'm not sure if it was worth it for you because I have a feeling you were doing tons of stuff in the background, and most of it did not come to pass insofar as just like setting things up in case something <laughs> happened yeah i kind of got to the point where i realized like a lot of the movement i was doing wasn't ever gonna matter yeah but honestly if 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 i think if um victoria's character didn't have a teleport ability of uh, dimension door they were probably doomed right like you think I, don't, so? I don't think they could have gotten out everything else is moving at the same speed as them they don't have any kind of movement bonus and you know death was on its way yeah whereas you with your like 120 feet of movement or something on your turn it's like you can just get it wherever you want yeah it it seems like um and i'm I'm just gonna guess here and you don't have to say anything but i i understand what the book and you were trying to do from the beginning of this because i was it was in the back of my head the the past couple of sessions were reconnaissance 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 uh sneaking and it's like you, you stomp the first floor and you go hmm <laughs> i don't know about like, this maybe we could do it and i think <laughs> there was some point during tonight's session where victoria said wouldn't it be great to go back to saltmarsh and just tell him we, we we did it we, we won yeah and I, I was just like oh you sweet summer child <laughs> i think we could have i honestly think we could have cleared the bottom if the second floor the uh not the to- sorry the bottom of the second floor like the south end if yeah. um if aura can cast that spell that did that sh- that Killed crazy cetacea, amount of damage really. to cetacea which i think was the just the that's where everything went south because cetacea just has this insane ac and was everything around her is taking damage just being around her it, it's absurd and i think that's yeah, where everything went wrong right there and yeah and then you know you, you're right about the AC thing, and, and how do you kill things with AC? You make them like wisdom saves, like banishment, yeah. and you hit them with AoE spells where they have to dodge. Yeah. So, so 
So the the priestesses did one thing that was his weakness, and then <laughs> and then our ally did the other. Yeah, it's it's a classic move, and to be honest, whatever. Either way, everyone survived except for yeah. Spoiler alert: Cetacea's dead. Uh, although I I'm considering trying to invest in <laughs> hiring the You're best bad. mages out there to investigate. Track her down. Track her down. Well, it'll probably be in the plain element or water. Maybe you'll get a chance to find her. Yeah, we'll see. I, we'll see. Uh, Procan must have some sway over that plane, right? Yeah. He's. So a... I think it's time to have a chat with Procan. That's what. <laughs> I mean, I'm, she's, I'm she's, a, she's a champion, right? So yeah, I'm invested in trying to uh, get citation. <laughs> Although I think Mark's like basically written her off, so it doesn't matter yeah. as far as he's concerned. Uh, so please, I'm just gonna post level three for you, just so like obviously you're never going down there unless it's during the war or something. That's like that's the next level. There's an arena. Um, yeah, it's just, it's just insane. There's that the picture in the uh, that you have in the the start page of it looks like an arena with a bunch of characters fighting some sort of uh, monster. And I was wondering if that's like was supposed to be in the book of like getting captured and fighting, being forced to fight in the arena. And yeah, it's definitely it's... an option. And obviously, that entrance you saw at the beginning, you can see there, uh, um, down there at the bottom. Yeah. And there's a secret entrance in the back too. Yeah. So fair amount of stuff there, and uh, overall, yeah. it's. It, I think it was uh, a decent. I, I guess this was just pure action this time. So about two hours of just slogging it out. Um, yep. And decisions made. I mean, right? Like it wasn't like it was. I I liked it better than other combats because it wasn't just like here's your objective, kill these things. Yeah. You're you know you're gonna succeed or you might have a tough time, maybe somebody yeah. gets knocked out. This was one of the things where every turn was critical for you guys. Like you needed to either get out of there or win or something. But you know, I knew in the background and I think that's why it wasn't boring for me, was that I knew in the background that you guys were like on a clock. And that yeah. give, given two more turns, that room would have been flooded with shell sharks. There would have been God in that room. Yeah. Like you were going to have a tough time getting out in two turns. Yeah. So you guys, yeah, skin of your teeth. So that was Wednesday. How did Tuesday go? <laughs> uh, Tuesday. Uh, let me think. I skipped it. I was oh. I was I was away on oh, my okay. trip and I was like going off playing disc golf and stuff and I didn't want to bother uh, rushing back. No, that's so, it's perfectly fair. So I'll have to give you an update next time. Um, but I did get um, I did get a game of Codenames Duet in. Oh, good. Uh, which is hard. It's just Codenames, but harder. A lot uh, of people love it. I, I we played it. I've only ever played it at um, the boardroom that one time. I think it was it with you. It might have been. I have a copy, and uh, and I like it. It's definitely like I fi I find it like you know I have that game Fog of Love, and it's kind of like asking you like here's four here's four um, options, choose one. Yeah, and then you find out if you chose the same one, you might get some points or something. Sure. I feel like Code Names Duet is a better version of getting to know somebody game. Huh? Because in Code Names. The Codemaster is trying to do their thing, and then there's like three or four people. One of them might be on that Codemaster's wavelength, and depending on how charismatic they are, they might be able to sway their team to make the right decision. Mm -hmm. Whereas when you're one-on-one -on -one in Codenames, 
you know, there's just the code master and the guesser, you know, you say yeah. a word, they touch a thing. And so you really get the idea of like word association between you and that person. And I think it's actually pretty interesting as far as like a social experiment. Yeah. As far as the game goes, I'm, I'm not in love with it, but like, mm-hmm. I just like that aspect of it. It's, I haven't played Codenames in forever. It feels like a year plus. And I think it's, it's not because it's a bad game. It's almost like it's, I, it, I don't want to say I burned out on it, but it, it became so default. Like, kind of like how we're playing Resistance all the time or Coup all the time. It's like they're not bad games per se. It, it, it's just you, you played so much of them for, so frequently that it's almost like you think of them and it's, you're kind of like, ah, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> Although I, I think I'm way more likely to play code names than a lot of stuff still. If if people are willing to put that on the table, if you've got a good crowd, people are into it. I think it yeah. just pound for pound, just the the I don't want to say experience generator, but the amount of fun and jokes people that game can still generate are is off the charts. And it's totally. as long as you, it doesn't turn into one of those things where the game's dragging on too long or people just aren't into it. But that's on you, you know. You should, it shouldn't be that long of a game. So yeah, but for me, I think I think there's a lot better two player games. So I'm not going to give Codenames Duet like. A nine out of ten or something. I think Code Names in itself is a ten out of ten for me. Mm-hmm. In Board Game Geek, that's the rating I gave it. But I'll give Duet like a seven. It just kind of feels weird and kind of like half-hearted to to do it with just one other person. Yeah, it. I don't know if I'd go that hard because it, I think it's still an. The the game itself, and that's what you're getting kind of like on some meta analysis of the game in the sense that's of true. like it's not the game's fault. It, it's still a t- it's a, it's still the exact same thing as code names. It's just, uh, but I guess you could argue like no, it isn't. The mechanics are. It is still one v one, and it's up to you to well, not one v one. It's you're technically on a team, aren't you? Yep, you're it, you're like playing against the clock, basically. The clock, yeah, exactly. So it's uh, I don't know. I guess is there anything really stopping you from just playing code names regular by with two people just doing the exact same thing? Yeah, I suppose you could, but how do you lose? Where's the challenge? Could you come up with the clock yourself? I don't know. Like, just say we have to get it within six guesses or so. That's true. You don't really need duet. There's nothing new in it. It's yeah. still the words. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's a good point. Oh no, there is. There's a special map where each of you has. It's a two-sided map, and each of you can see the other side. And for three of you, I think like there's like a, a die if you do this one. Um, that is actually the correct one for the other person. So it's kind of a little tricky. You're like, well, I don't want to cl- touch that. I know that's death, but yeah, it's not death because for the other person, it's correct. Okay, fair enough. Then, uh... oh, it's just <laughs> my, my friend. My friend uh, played D and D with the. He's he's looking at the map of, that Joel posted of the Sawagin Lair, and he's saying it looks sick. <laughs> that's great. <laughs> looks like death. <laughs> um, uh, Can't go oh. for yeah all right well codenames duet um was there anything else you played joel uh no as far as board games that's it and then obviously i was in my first disc golf tournament and uh played some league so like i've I've gone over to the dark side as far as like getting obsessed and playing like crazy uh but i i did well in my tournament i finished like middle of the pack kind of thing so i was super happy like that my goal was not last place my goal was two under par i accomplished both those things and i got to play with a guy who claims 
unsubstantiated that he he is the logo of PDG. <laughs> Which is like it'd be a weird thing to just make up unless it's like yeah. uh, his shtick. It's like, oh, did uh, did Mike tell you he's the outline on that <laughs> graphic? It's like, is he? Nope. He just tells that to all the new people just to screw with them. Yeah, and he was on my card, but he was like kind of standoffish. But then uh, he got into the playoffs, and they went six holes where they just tied. And then on the seventh hole, um, he actually threw it out really wide and skipped and hit the basket that I had aced and bounced out. And I had it on video, so he wanted that video of him yeah. managing to hit the basket on the drive. And so then he added me on Messenger, and Messenger, his picture is that. And I was like, oh, hey, cool, you have the PDGA photo as your photo. And he's like, yeah, it's, it's a picture of me putting. So I don't know, yeah, it doesn't seem like something you would just throw out there as like a random lie. Well, he's been playing since 87, so it'd be a weird yeah. thing to be... Uh... And there are videos of him in the World Championships in 91 and 95 and stuff. So, you know, he, he was on the lead card of the World Champions, one of the top four players in the world at a certain point in his career. I wonder where these guys would play for these like super tournaments or this bounce all over the place. These little holes or little courses, <clears throat> excuse me. And uh, they just find something that people, uh, you know, accept as being really good courses for this type of stuff and just like, all right, this is the rank. This is where we go. Yeah. Yeah. Oh man. I was, it's like, it's, it's seeping its way into every aspect of my life, Jack, because I was at the pinery this this week working and as i'm like walking through the woods from one gate to another going to pee, pee off in the woods i'm just looking and i'm like oh man this look at this change of elevation these pine trees they're nice and spaced <laughs> out you know clean a little bit of the underbrush and you've got yourself a like a world-class course yeah <laughs> and now it's it's like all of john's talk you know our friend john is always talking about like turning this into a business somehow developing yeah. courses all over the ontario and now it's got me thinking, like, man, maybe I should talk to the staff at the Pinery and, you know, see if they're interested because Bronte Creek has done it, you know. And obviously that's a big draw. Uh, McGregor Point, I think, and Arrowhead have built some, like, sort of re similar facilities. I just don't think the Pinery needs it, you know. They're already, like, insanely busy. They've got the beach. That's their big... I don't know. Do you ever go out to Grand Bend? I guess you wouldn't because you've got the cottage, like, I've driven through. I, I've been through Grand Bend, but it, there's like very little reason for me to go that way specifically. Okay. It, but I, the whole thing about his plan is the idea of like people having space they're not using, yeah. um, and to turn that into functional space. And for some reason, he's he's very fixated on the idea of the First Nations territories. Um, and like who, who knows maybe it, it's a it's a great idea insofar as as the idea of like okay you're not using it so why don't you turn it into something that you can use and get people to show up and um i i think i just bristle a little bit at the idea of like so do you do so the kindness of strangers or is this something you're monetizing and getting people to pay to do and i think if yeah. you're starting to charge for it i think that's a step in the wrong direction of turning this into where you're just it's kind of like how all these digital streaming services start off as, okay, right. we're going to do what we want to do. We're going to, you know, no one's telling us what to do. And eventually there's <laughs> another one and another one, another one. And eventually you've just recreated cable on the yeah. internet. And I'm just concerned about turning disc golf into regular golf. <laughs> but it's going to be golf. Yeah. If they go that way, more casual. Sure. I don't know. Like, unless you can really convince people to keep it as like a free 
uh, or like an addition to something that they're already doing. But at the same time, it's like Bronte Creek is already pushing it in the sense of like, what, what did it cost? What's it cost per car, Joel? Like 20 bucks, 18 bucks? Per what? Per car? Yeah, to get into the, the oh, conservation. 18, yeah. 18 bucks. So that's, you know, you get a full car, people, that's fine. But it's still something that makes you think a little bit like, eh. Eighteen dollars just to you know throw Honestly, some discs around a bit. I think pay the disc if it's good enough, is going to take off. Um, you're seeing a lot of it pick up in the U.S. Speaking of which, have you played golf? Like, do you play golf? Not well, and not very often. Have you ever played in forest? No, God no. Okay, there's like a pretty decent golf course there. It's about half an hour from Grand Bend, so I went there. Uh, two two nights ago, around four o'clock, dead, completely dead, no golfers at all. But I went there because they had set up, they had claimed that they had set up a disc golf course. Mm-hmm. But what it was was like I can I can see it now. Basically, Innova showed up at the clubhouse or maybe sent him an email or something and said, "We've got an idea for you. Yeah. You want to make money over the winter." Yeah, disc golf, and they were like, "Yes, we're in." And Innova was like, "Okay, guys, so uh, we have like six packages, right? You, you know, you can choose any of these, and if if you look at this, you will get a professional to come, and they'll consult with you, and they'll look at your property, and they'll tell you." And they were like, "We'll take package one," you know. So yeah. what they got was they got signs, which they obviously printed off of like a color printer. Oh man. And- and they and they put two by fours in the ground. Okay. Uh, spaced out from each other to create the tees. Okay. So zero tee pads. Yeah. Fifteen dollar entry fee. Okay. And the placement of the pins was just hilarious. Like they had like a line of trees, and they were like, okay, well, line of tree sounds challenging. We'll put uh, hole one facing the line of trees, and then we'll just put hole two in front of it facing the same line of trees. Uh. <laughs> like zero variance. They had one hole that was just on the path, like on the road going to the next golf hole. Yeah. Um, they had a couple tees where like, it was like a, you know, you need like a little bit of a run up if you're an actual disc golfer. So you need like a tee pad that's like seven to nine feet long. Mm-hmm. They had a couple tees where it was like two feet and then a ditch. Okay. A ditch. I like that. <laughs> so you it's could have penalty. zero run up. You could have like one step. Yeah. <laughs> So I mean, it was just it was just kind of a sad situation. The 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 signs that they had printed out were from Innova and had um, distance and t and uh, par on them. They didn't even take the effort to write down the par or the distance. Distance, whatever you know, fine. They didn't even put the pars down, so you couldn't even play the course if you didn't have UDisc and you were just following the app. So overall, pay to play fifteen dollars is major disappointment. But on the other hand, would I go play again? I think absolutely. Like the court, the golf course is really beautiful. They accidentally made some really interesting holes, yeah. and I had a ton of fun. Yeah. So even though I'm heavily critical of them, and I could probably send them an email and tell them like a dozen things, like cardinal sins that they should fix. Just the fact that they have that property and the water you're throwing over and the change in elevation and everything made it a ton of fun. So I don't know. I don't know, Jack. What's the future of disc golf? We, I think we kind of like uh, agonized over this a little bit when it came to 
board game cafes and what they should be charging, everything like that. Yeah. <laughs> Turns out they were just all going to close as soon as the pandemic <laughs> hit. But maybe one day we'll talk about that again. I don't know. It, I still think the the... I'm not saying there isn't a market for people who are willing to drop 20 bucks or uh, or more to go to like really prof- like groomed courses but my question is um is it sustainable versus somebody just saying cuz it's it's got to be easier to maintain overall than it is to maintain an actual golf course and it's probably you could argue it's probably more environmentally environmentally friendly cuz you're not uh, you don't have to keep everything so manicured or else people freak out or they don't want to show up uh, I think my objections to it are mostly on a philosophical and, um, uh, I, and I guess uh, financial background of that. I don't. I personally don't want to pay for it. The reason I like disking is because I like the idea of not of just showing up to some place that has. It's kind of like, are you going to charge people for parks that you've put uh, slides in and swings and stuff? And it, to me, it's 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 an addition to a park that makes it something to go out to versus something that. Uh, is the the fundamental aspect of the park that's designed to extract uh, money from me for the for the purpose of engaging in the the activity that they've built it around? So I don't know. It it just seems to me it's it's going against that uh, t- the nature of the when you go to um, the arboretum and you see those guys there. <laughs> like <laughs> that's you're right. Yeah, I mean the spirit of disc golf is kind of a hippie thing kind of a chill <laughs> thing yeah right it's 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 a community it's preservation you know you're not allowed to mess with the branches and everything. <laughs> supposedly i've seen i and i've done it too yeah. like you, you gotta get sometimes you gotta break some branches you know yeah uh well uh, but anyway we'll, we'll see where it goes yeah it is it's kind of sad you know it is kind of seeing like something um like like kind of like a cute subculture like if somebody was into i don't know uh, attack on titan or something <laughs> and it's, it just becomes mainstream and then gets monetized and all these major corporations just kind of gobble it up and it's like it's oh. it's weird how big attack on titan has become right and i i know this is, this is old news because the yeah. show is old, fairly old at this point but i just when you when you walk into something like and this is gonna i don't know if this is dating or aging me right away but when you walk into something like hmv and they've got like attack on Titan pillows, attack on Titan lamps. And you're thinking, what what boat did I miss? Like I didn't I didn't hear a thing about this for the longest time, and then suddenly there's the merchandise is everywhere. Like I I, I don't get it, but I, I I'm not up to date with the kids what the kids are watching these days. So I didn't mind the first season. I enjoyed it a lot, but uh, it's, it's I I didn't get how crazy it became. Yeah, I mean. <laughs> I guess it, it is a little bit different than a lot of them because, like, heroes are not safe. You know, like, you could die at any moment. And, yeah. I don't know. It was kind of cool. It was gritty, and there's a lot of mystery, and, you know. Yeah. I won't get into it because I don't want to spoil it for anybody, but they're yeah. ending now. They're in the last season. and Well, maybe it, I'll, I'll finish it, it then. kind of cool. I just started watching, uh, so two shows. Um one of which is one of these shows that it's like completely old news that Jack's touching it, but I finally was talked into it by somebody because initially I didn't care and I almost felt like I was getting enough of the excitement just being close enough to it. And that is The Mandalorian. I just started watching. Um, oh, yeah. So I, saw, I, think, I feel like I was telling you to watch it too much 
And every time, like, it was like when I told you to play Doki Doki Lit Club, you were just like, <laughs> if you tell me to do it, I'm not doing it. <laughs> it's just, I'm, I'm getting pissed off, just like yeah. dragging my heels out of fun. No, it's it's fun. We watched two episodes back to back last night. Um, uh, I can see why, <laughs> like, the <laughs> the Baby Yoda thing exploded. Baby Yoda, it's, it's, just, so it's, it's atrociously cute. And I think they're puppets. Am I crazy? Or are they just incredible CG that's like recreating puppet, puppets? Yeah. Because they, and, I, and that's, I think it's a robot. Okay, either way, like it's practical. Um, yeah. And uh, it's, I can see why the show is very popular because it's, it, it's, it's just entertaining. That's all it is at the end of the day. It just feels like people are having fun making it. Um, if anything, I think, and this is going to sound a little, little elitist, but I feel like maybe some of the references are a little on the nose a bit at times, like where it's like Jawas everywhere. Okay, I thought they were just on the one planet. That's fine. Bring them to this other planet. It's like, and uh, just sometimes you kind of feel like they're just like winking at you a bit. Like, hey, remember this? Remember this? But in general, I think it's just based on the first two episodes I've seen. I can get, I get totally after, after the yeah. abuse you've taken as a Star Wars fan to finally get something that's like half decent. You go, okay, yeah. this is what it could. I mean, be. There's, there's there's a reason why there's all those memes where it's like, you know, it's Ray and she's like, I'm gonna carry the Star Wars saga to the new generation yeah. and then you see like little baby Yoda like hold my beer <laughs> <laughs> like it feels like Star Wars it's a lot yeah. more fun and interesting and it's not trying to take itself so damn seriously all the exactly. time exactly it, it's it's doing what there was the, the 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 new movies messed up completely which is the uh this the sense of adventure and fun and it can be serious in parts but it's it's never just dour maybe that's the way i'm looking at it, or the the phrase it's it, it feels it, it's just entertaining and it, it's it's a popcorn muncher and it doesn't ask too much of you and you don't have to ask too much of it and it delivers on both sides so so far i'm, I'm quite pleased with what i've seen and uh, i'm looking forward to continue it so so anyway that's the one show and the second one I started is because, again, another recommendation from somebody, and maybe you've seen this, um, but have you heard of Alice in Borderland? Alice in Borderland? No. It's this live-action Japanese uh, series, and it's obviously, just obviously based off a of manga. Um, and it, it feels like, I've, I've only seen the first episode, but it feels like um, a mix between, this. Is, I can't believe I'm saying this, feels like a mix between the general plots of most of the the uh the smt shin megami tensei games and battle royale or uh the hunger games for you kids out there because uh, the premise is there's this this goofball uh kid who's this he just plays video games all day and uh he's he's basically kicked out of his house by his older brother and his father and he meets up with his friends who are all in other kind of uh, bad stages of their life or they're unhappy and they're in downtown Tokyo and they're just having like their one one last day of sort of like freedom before they have they realize they have to like get their get their stuff together and uh, so they they get into a bit of trouble and they end up hiding in this bathroom uh, off of the subway station and I think it's Shibuya and uh, all of a sudden the lights go off and uh, when they open up the doors everyone in the city has disappeared and uh, they are being summoned to this building and they get to the building and they get, everyone gets these special cell phones and all of a sudden the cell phone turns on and says, you are now part of a game. And it's like a, I guess you can add saw to that list as well. And they have to basically 
solve these puzzles or play this game in order to survive for X amount of days before they have to play another game to keep them alive for another X amount of days based on the difficulty of the game. And uh, it's very violent. Uh, there were how many deaths were in this one? Uh, there were two deaths, uh, one suicide and one laser through the head. Uh, well, I guess there were two lasers through the heads, but uh, nice. Uh, and so far, it seems entertaining. Uh, it's maybe a little, little, a uh, little cheesy, but it's uh, so far I, I've enjoyed it, and uh, I can see why uh, somebody would get into it because it's um, it, lo- it looks like it's got a hook, but it definitely feels like one of those things where you're like, okay, this is definitely a serialized <laughs> story that they're God knows how long they're going to stretch this, but I think they're making the second season. It's a Netflix original, so for whatever that's worth, the budget's there, that's for sure. Anyway, that's my endorsement of the first give it. <laughs> I I would give the first episode um uh six and a half um uh trapped doors with lasers that will blast your brain out of ten. That's my endorsement. Peace. Um uh, I've started watching Invincible. The movie? I think it, I think it was a comic book. I don't really know because I don't know anything about it. I just saw like a tiny clip of it on the internet. Yeah. Um, it seems like a, like a total ripoff of like mainstream comics, but somehow changed. And it's a lot of fun. I think it's on Amazon Prime. It's an Amazon Prime. Yeah. And yeah, I don't know. There's only three episodes out. I've only watched the first one, but I am loving it. I mean, who who needs to talk about board games? <laughs> Let's just watch about, uh, I just completely jumping from one thing to another just because I thought of it. Uh, Invincible, yeah, check Logan's it out. Seth Rogen's a producer, watch out. <laughs> <laughs> Uh-oh. <laughs> so it's brilliant. John K is definitely going to watch it. Huh. Um, <laughs> I don't know, he's a fan of his movies, apparently. Anyway, yeah. um, jumping from that, like, honestly, Invincible looks great, but I don't have enough to say about it to really run on it, but it, it, it seems like I'm really going to enjoy it. I just wanted to say that as far as physical effects go, obviously, who do you think of when you think of movies with physical effects? Uh, I'm, hmm, big, I don't big know. Production. I would think of George Miller, personally. George but, Miller, sure. I was thinking Christopher Nolan. Sure, yeah. Which, like, obviously, Dunkirk was well-known for. Also, you know, filming on film, which is something that's not done much anymore. But I was. Have you seen the thing where the there was that one scene in Inception where the 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 whole room tilts? He's trying to convince the guy that he's his security, his dream security, and the glasses start turning and everything like that. I don't remember the scene. I'm sorry. It's okay. It's Leonardo DiCaprio talking to Peaky Blinders guy. I'm, yeah, and... I remember exactly where it is. But <laughs> is that the famous one where you like where they make those things? But let me blow in your face and then just yeah, and they squint. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. So he's sitting in a bar with him and he's convincing oh, him guy. that he's in a dream and yeah. that he's hired him as dream security. So he needs to trust him and talk to him and tell him about you know like where the safe is or whatever. Yeah. And so, um, he's he's being very convincing and then he's like look at your glass, look at it. And it's like, it's starting to tilt and everything's starting to shake and everything. Yeah. And it's such a cool scene, but I've seen a video now like zoomed out where like they spent hundreds of thousands of dollars on that one little conversation because it's all on a giant platform. Oh, and it's all thing tilt. Oh, yeah, it's all practical effects and, and like a lot of stuff, obviously some CGI and inception, what? but 
lot of the stuff is practical effects. I remember seeing the the pulled out like kind of the behind the scenes shot of that the famous hallway scene with Joseph Gordon Levitt kind of walking as the walls are spinning, and that's all an actual room spinning too, which was really cool. So it's just neat. It's but that's where the budgets come in, and, and that's the sort of stuff that will keep a movie looking great for a long time. Uh, even though I think special effects have reached the point that most of the really good, like the high budget stuff are still aging, will still age really well versus the, we're not like the high budget stuff like Jurassic Park era when, because I think Jurassic Park honestly looks pretty bad um, aside from the practical stuff that uh, like the, the early CG from the 90s and whatnot, even the, the top of the line looks like garbage. Yeah. I mean Dunkirk 2 like the plane crashing and everything. I mean, I don't know. Did you like Dunkirk? Yeah, I loved it. I really enjoyed yeah, it. Me too. And I think like a, a lot of the people didn't like it. Uh, but they I'm can, not sure. You know, they just don't have an attention span anymore. Anyway. Yeah! <laughs> you know what? It's that's not an unreasonable. There weren't, there weren't enough musical numbers. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't. Uh, it, it's uh, it's a little frustrating, and I think um, it it almost needs to be said that if you, somebody says I don't like X. It's like, well, give me a taste of what you do like, just so I can be on the same page here, so that I'm not just wasting my time. Uh, uh, or, or if you just, you, it's like, I prefer shorter stuff, or I, I prefer lighter fare, which is fine, absolutely fine. But let's just be, let's be honest here. Let's not duck around stuff. It's like, let's bring us back to board games, uh, just in time for musical break. But if somebody says like, uh, oh, I don't like, I'm just looking behind me. Let's think of an example. Uh, I don't like Concordia. You say, oh, gee, really? Why not? And say, oh, it's just, uh, you know, it, it's not for me. It's not, I think it just doesn't work. Well, what do you like? Oh, I'm a huge fan of categories. It's like, okay. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Get down to their level. <laughs> it's <laughs> like, well, okay, let's have a different conversation. Then, so. Yeah. All right. Let's go break. Yeah. Well, well okay. <laughs> well, musical <laughs> break. We'll be back in a second. Stay tuned.
Welcome back to CFRU 93.3 FM. What you just heard was two tracks off of Bart Graft. Uh, I guess he's a group, not a person. Could be a person. Uh, album Americana, Volume 3 from 2018. The first track, Brutalism, with uh, uh, kind of um, spoken word in the background by the late, great um, Naked Lunch author uh, Bill Burroughs. And uh, the, the final track off the album, Mass Production. Some very pulsing, synthy, ominous, uh, things are moving music. It's, uh, I, I think I had that on in the background, um, uh, the Bart Graff stuff when I'm playing um, uh, uh, brass. <laughs> it just, it, it's this perfect juxtaposition of this kind of like 80s-themed uh, uh, industrial commercial uh, things are being constructed mixed with the 19th century <laughs> or the 18th century uh, running coal in uh, Birmingham and uh, in England. Just it, it, it mashes, mashes gorgeously. So, um, so but when we left, we were discussing uh, various TV shows we were watching and uh, uh, Joel's endorsed Invincible. I'm just going to read the premise in case people are uh, wondering what we're talking about. Mark Grayson is a normal teenager except for the fact that his father, Nolan, is the most powerful superhero on the planet. Shortly Not after his 17th... Krypton. Pardon me? Not from Krypton. Not from, from Krypton. Like Don't forget Krypton or something. Yeah. Anyway. Shortly after his 17th birthday, Mark begins to develop powers of his own and enters into his father's tutelage. And it's got Steven Yoon, which is uh, the Korean guy from uh, Walking Dead who, spoiler alert, gets his head caved in. And Sandra Oh, another Korean. Hmm. And uh, J.K. Simmons, who is never ever. I knew it. A bad I was choice. like, that's definitely J.K. Simmons. I never a poor choice. Honestly, he's like the reason I'm watching the show. He's a hook. He's so good that when you see him in something, you're like, you're, oh, you're too pure for this world, J.K. Simmons. You're just too good at what you do. And you're too scary, too. <laughs> um, so I got to play a couple stuff this weekend. Um, and again, if you join the Guelph Board Gaming Group, a board gamers group you can kind of get a feel for uh, what the what i play because i try to take pictures of it and post in there it helps the group with content and also it's uh, you, what joel does it count doing anything if you don't take a picture of it to reveal to other people for internet points <laughs> is it uh it doesn't matter if it's on in if it's not on instagram if it's not on instagram does it exist that's the ultimate philosophical question uh the answer is no it does not so uh played a couple of games um sorry for uh, doing a big sniff into the mic there uh first one uh you know i'll double back to the first one so the got to play a game of welcome to and do you own that one joel oh yeah yeah so welcome to a roll and write you're building a, a little uh suburb it feels like um I I have introduced this to so many people. It is arguably the most complicated roll and write <laughs> that I think we've got. Uh, in that, I I think of all the people we've introduced it to, um, it takes at least one or two games for a new person. I find to click to what's going on here because there's just uh, some. I, I I'm perfectly re uh, I'm perfectly willing to accept that there's some things going on with it that are a little confusing, even though. Once you figure it out, it's fairly simple. But uh, um, and then second chance, which is playing Tetris on a piece of paper with by Uvi Rosenberg. So uh, kind of night and day. Every second chance takes two seconds for people to understand. Then they're boom, they're in, they're playing it. Um, 
what are your thoughts on Welcome to Joel? I love it. Like, as far as your role and rights that you've taught to me over the time, and I mean, like, I guess Quix is kind of a role and right that I have. Oh, absolutely, yeah. Um, a role in Mark. Role in Mark, <laughs> yeah. Well, you've got the, and, the blinked out uh, laminated version. I love that. Um, yeah, true. And I, I mean, we'll have to do that with Welcome to Eventually. Yes, if we keep yes, playing. yes, yes. Um, I love that it's not entirely random. It reminds me of Xander every time I play it because Xander always wanted to take games with dice like Risk and uh, other ones and convert them into a deck of cards where uh, it was still semi-random, but probability would always balance out. I think Catan, yeah. he really wanted to do with Catan. Yeah. Which, I mean, I think I even at some point watched the Catan National Finals just out of like a morbid curiosity. Yeah. And it was like the same situation. It's like somebody just rolled a lot of threes and that person won the finals. And it was just like, man, yeah. if only this could be fixed somehow, you know? Which is always why I'm so drawn to games like Diplomacy and um, Civilization and anything where luck is, is pulled out. And I mean, I, I, I don't have a problem <laughs> with like, like John Company, I love, you know, you have to roll a six to retire and everything. Like, it's cool. It's exciting to roll that die. Yeah. But um, where, where was I at the beginning of this sentence? <laughs> I think we were just asking you about Welcome To compared to. Yeah. Maybe so just welcome, related to other stuff. Yeah. So Welcome To has a really cool aspect where they have a deck and you go through the deck uh and you just flip a card and it tells you what number instead yeah. of instead of rolling a die and yeah. also the added benefit of that is you don't have to have like a d16 or something weird like that um, <laughs> because i think there's like 15 15 different numbers or 16 different numbers that you could uh, get as a result 15, yeah and then the other neat thing about it is that the back side of each card gives you a little preview about what's yes. coming next and I'm, I, I've never once looked at the backside of cards and thought, <laughs> yeah, I, mean, I never use the, I, I have enough time, trouble planning the turn that's actually happening. Exactly. I, I maybe, can't plan ahead. Maybe it'll take another uh, like 100 plays before I start actually caring about what's on the next cards coming up. Although it could, it could be super useful. Uh, and I, I'm sure it is, but rather, I'd say around mid to late game, you stop caring about what the card is versus like, can I fit the number in? That's just all you really want. But anyway, welcome to Second Chance. Um, so we played two games, Welcome to two games, Second Chance, um, and they're both perfectly fine, both perfectly great games. And uh, Second Chance, I, I think, is an easy endorsement for me because it's just so simple that I think you could really get people to. You could dump that on a table and be playing that with people who, uh, we. I don't mean this as a as in a derogatory sense, but the codenames crowd. You could get that on the table with that that type of crew and just be like, boom, everyone gets it. Easy, easy, easy. Um, Filthy the, casuals. Oh shoot, casuals. You said it. Derogatory. <laughs> uh, the next one up was a game called Air, Land, and Sea, and Air, Land, and Sea is a game that. I heard uh, it was recommended to me by a couple different people. Um, some people on a forum I read, some people on the internet. And I was like, okay, I got to look into this. Because if I'm hearing a lot of buzz about a game, I usually get you know, my ears perked up, especially something weird like this. And it's a two-player card uh, war game type thing where you are sitting across from each other and there are three theaters. And we'll just call them the air, gray, blue sea, green land. And what you want to do is you want to have the highest value 
cards in two of the three at the time when either uh, the both players run out of cards or someone decides to basically forfeit that round. And the forfeiting the round thing is kind of interesting because at any point you can decide to, uh, this isn't working for me, I'm just going to forfeit. And you can basically just admit that you're not going to win this one. And based on the amount of cards that have been played, your opponent gets less points. Um, so it's you kind of mitigating your losses. Um, if you play it out to the bitter end and you lose, then you're giving your opponent the full amount of points they could possibly get. So you got to think about, ooh, is this something I can win? Is this not? And uh, the cards that you put down, can they have different abilities linked to them. So some are just raw points. Other of them, uh, types of cards allow you to buff uh, things to either side of you. Some of them prevent your opponent from doing certain things. And you can always play a card upside down anywhere you want, because otherwise your cards are limited to the color uh, being only played in the area that they're associated with. But you can always turn a card upside down for two points and put it wherever you like. And there are some things that buff those cards upside down. So mm. if you're getting a taste for this, Is it's... another card that buffs the card? Yeah, there's another type of card that can make those better. Like they can double their strength or add an mm. extra value to them or something. So the bottom line is there's it's 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 a mixture of brinkmanship and holding off certain cards until you think your opponent can't mitigate it or waiting until your opponent has dumped something good and then caught forcing them to flip that card over or putting something down that stops opponents from even playing more than uh, three cards in one area. So there's a lot of really nifty little things you're doing here and it plays ridiculously quickly. It's very, very fast, um, but there's a lot of meat to it. And overall, it's, I, I really liked it. And it's an, it's an easy addition to the, um, I guess, the filler style game, especially because it's two-player. You can just dump that down, kind of play a couple of games of that before playing something bigger. Or if you're just kind of bored and you say, do you want to, have a, do you want to play a quick game while you know, having a, before dinner or after dinner? Or do you want to have a, play it outside because it travels so nicely too? So. Did you say something, Joel? What's the playtime? Oh, geez. Like you could play if you if you both know what you're doing, you could play uh, single hand in five to ten minutes if you uh, weren't agonizing over choices like that. So I think overall, like a whole game could take you half an hour, depending on if you go back and forth, back and forth. But it's not a long game um, and it's very affordable. I think it's it's sub twenty dollars if you went to somewhere like J&J's or uh, Board Game Bliss or 401, etc. So okay. good game recommend it um give it a shot if you uh, are looking for something like that and then the one i feel like uh, we haven't talked about in a while and i think uh joel might have some things to chime in on about is we played a game of scythe two players scythe <laughs> nice and it's something it's a game we haven't played in a long time and we had been playing it for, we played it so much for a stretch there and then uh then it kind of dropped off the radar a bit but uh, what's there to be said about Scythe? It is a, a Euro masquerading as a 4X game. <laughs> and it is, uh, it, it's, it's all about making things go higher on, on different um, charts. It's all about moving cubes from one part to another uh, of a player board and uh, moving your pawn around and taking, basically selecting your actions for the turn. And uh, optimizing an engine. It's an engine builder at the end of the day. So uh, I, I you kind of returned to it in the cold light of day. Yeah, you know, took two two years off and then 
Yeah, it feels like it was two years. Yeah. Um, so Kayla had. Uh, um, I'm just trying to look at the board here. I, I can never tell where it says um, which type it is. Uh, I think Kayla had Rusviet Industrial, and I had um, the uh, Crimean uh, Mechanical. And that may mean something to some people. And in fact, I don't know if the Rusviet Industrial or it's Rusviet Mechanical. There's some combination that Rusviet's not supposed to get <laughs> because I guess it's broken in their testing that you're supposed to remove the board from them. Right, yeah. Rusviet Industrial, I think. Yeah. Uh, but uh, without diving too much into the, the, the mechanics of the game, that I ended up winning quite handily. Um, Ooh. It's it, and if you it, if you ever look at the pictures, I had uh, Kayla caught up a bit, but I had two more stars than her by the end of the game. I had maxed up my my hearts, which is something I rarely do in this game, and I just had so much territory under my control that uh, it was just kind of like points, 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 crazy. And the Crimeans get their special power is that you can use once per turn one of the combat cards as a wild resource, which is gets out of control really quickly. Uh, depending on your setup and how you've been developing stuff, uh, especially when you're starting to get like free combat cards all the time based mm -hmm. on certain actions. So, get all your workers out. I, you know what? I only got two of my workers out. I just because I hate two? paying for them. Hate paying for them every time. So how I had to get stuff. Do you just trade for it? Trade for it. Uh, move them around. I robbed Kayla once, and uh, beyond oh, that, it's just cool. like if and if you get to the factory first. You take the card that is one of your most expensive ones, which for me was upgrading, so I didn't have to worry about oil for the rest of the game. And I just spent, just like, take an upgrade action for free every other round. Basically. Well, $2, but $2 is way cheaper than spending it the, uh, for yep. four oil. So, um, What anyway, was your popularity by the end? It was at max. Max popularity. Max. So you yeah. actually got the popularity star? Yeah. When did, how often have that I ever seen anybody <laughs> What? I want to see the way you played. How many how many uh mechs did you have out? All my mechs. All your mechs. Yeah, well, I had mechanical, so you didn't do any fighting um I fought once and I took the hit on that and I still got it back cuz if um you, you lost popularity, you still got it to max. Wow. Yeah, cuz I was getting hearts constantly. Constantly, constantly, constantly. And uh, I will say that one thing is that, like, a lot of those encounters will the most appealing thing costs you popularity. Yep, because you get the max, like, usually the most stuff. And I think at the beginning of the game, it's definitely worth it to take it to give you that boost, yeah. and you can make it up later. But uh, anyway, so uh, I think that what I want to say uh, about Scythe was that I enjoyed myself, but I think the more I look at it, the, and I've mentioned this already to Joel in previous conversations, the more I feel like it's it's just kind of a game. It's not something that uh, really excites me like it used to. It's very pretty. But I think a lot of the time, I'm, I'm not looking at what other people are doing, per se. I'm just looking at my own board and trying to do my own thing and hope that nobody really uh, gets close to me. And I think that's maybe it's an issue with a two-player game. If you're playing with more people, you're definitely playing more brinkmanship and you're worried about, like, I'm not leaving resources there. I got to be really careful about guarding stuff. Um, I think you can maybe do your own thing up to three players. And then after that, you're probably... Uh, it gets tight, especially that. fighting for the factory, too. Um, yeah. But it, in the end, it just doesn't feel like a very... It, it, this is what I, I want to ask you. Do you think it's a tight game? 
Uh, no, I think that every time somebody wins, it's by a lot, except for like I think one or two exceptions where it's, um, where it's been close, like within five dollars. Mm-hmm. But like it's never been like Istanbul, you know, like Istanbul where Down to a dollar so many two. situations where like two, sometimes even three people manage to finish and complete their gems on the same turn, and yep. then it's yeah, it's dollar differences. I've never seen that in Scythe. It's like. I think there's definitely like a runaway aspect. If you're doing well, you do better. Yeah. It's the, I think what gets me is that, um, and again, I just, I want to clarify this. I've played the game probably a dozen times. I still don't think I'm very good at it, but the, it feels like there's a lot of sort of, um, it just like between the player board distribution and how, what sort of, power cards you're managing to draw because Kayla ended up winning one of these fights that because she had drawn I hadn't seen the entire game I was drawn like crazy but she drew two five attack powers on me and it, it was just I kind of just stared off in the distance because like I could have theoretically won this fight if she had uh, anything else but she of course drew the two and that's when you can get into like well the fights are meant to be random it's kind of like you shouldn't be getting into those fights to begin with if it's not a it's not really a guarantee, but I, I think in general, it just kind of feels it feels a little sloppy in parts that kind of takes away from something like Concordia, let's go back to, where it's still got the randomization in terms of like which of these cards are coming up um, and where the resource is appearing. But you, it still feels like if I lose, I feel like I lose genuinely at Concordia versus sometimes when you're playing... Scythe, you're kind of looking at it going like, I know I've made mistakes, but I feel like I, they weren't that bad. Like, how did you blow me out of the water so badly here? Or how did I just like totally run you over? I, I don't think I was doing anything especially unique. So I, I'm more than willing to admit it's me, but I, I just don't think the game is is beloved. It's it should be, beloved. Like, it should be. In 2016, Scythe was blowing all our minds. Yeah, And I think part of it is, and you got to give it credit for this, it is the best looking game as far as components go. It is. It absolutely is. Minus my warped player boards, which drive me crazy. Oh, warped what? from the get-go. They're, they're bent. They're, they, I, I've tried to flatten them several times. They just don't work. And I, and I think some of the uh, little wooden components kind of bug me a little bit, where it's, I'm kind of looking at them going, I feel these viticulture cast-offs. Like, am, I, am I crazy? <laughs> Did you just have extra, like, uh, uh, extra little pieces floating around from some of those games? But... It's a good game, and it coasts by on that artwork, that's for sure. But anyway, that was my, my board gaming roundup weekend mm. of, uh, of that well, stuff. Well, yeah, you, you kind of carried us. <laughs> I didn't have much to say. Were you getting worried, Joel? And, uh, <laughs> no, I'm just saying, you know, we could talk about your games. <laughs> <laughs> because my games are, you know, I'm doing the same thing. Nothing special. Hey, we'll we'll have plenty but of stuff to talk we, about. I think. Uh, yeah, next. we still had plenty of D and D. We could have we could have yeah. we spent a long time talking about banishment because I think it's a very interesting spell, and a lot of people are saying it's over overpowered. Like it counter does spell. seem a little. It's like a, a, yeah. a cheap counter spell. It's like anyway. you really need to break concentration or kill this thing, or in six in ten turns, which is a lot of turns. Yeah, somebody's gonna die. Well, okay, we have no time left, but what I want to ask is, can, can the player who's been banished, can they, can they make a check while they've been banished? Once they're banished, they're banished. Okay, they only make the check cheesy. to get out of it. That's really cheesy. But I guess if you can attack the mage. But then again, what's to stop you from having a mage that shows up, banishes, 
somebody and then uh, kind of runs off down the hallway, then you're really in trouble. <laughs> True, true. And and in a one-on-one situation, right? Like if somebody ran off, like just ran into a mage yeah, and got banished, nobody's around to help them. They're done. Nope, 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 nope. And I think it's that whole thing. And I don't think people read the back part properly of the spell. And they always say after a minute passes, the person comes back. Yeah. But that's if the spell ends before one minute has passed. Otherwise, the target doesn't return. Yep. It's right there. Incitatia will not return. But we're going to have to save that uh, chat for the next episode. Hopefully yeah. we'll see what uh, the Hobgoblin fighter can do. Because we need that AC back up there. We need Those are rookie AC numbers. We need uh, probes. But anyway, thank you for listening. Android Dungeon, CFRU 93FM. Check us out on Anchor, uh, all your favorite podcasting websites. Join the Guelph Border Gamers group dot, uh, on Facebook. And uh, you can choose the email, droiddungeonradio at uh, gmail.com. Uh, thank you for listening. I'm Jack. I'm Joel. Have a good one. Bye-bye. All right, there we go. Sorry about that. I was a little distracted. There's some like ridiculous interpersonal drama going on between uh, Dave and Dave's wife and Sam's friend.